Okay. Good morning. Ah, uh, I can hear that. Uh, the fan is running, but I think the sound should be loud enough you can hear me. I got thumbs up from the back row. Great. Um, this is this class is the penultimate class. If you guys know what that is, it means the next to the last one. And so end uh, of the quarter is next week, and that will be the last class of the quarter. Um, I plan to do a quarterly review of what we have gone over uh, next Sunday. So hopefully that will refresh your memories on what we've talked about. And I know some of you haven't made some of the uh, classes, so you'll get at least part of that. Um, I failed to... Can I see that? There we go. You're good. Um, I failed to appropriately plan, you'll notice, this morning because uh, I should have done this a month or so ago and uh, it slipped through the cracks, but this morning we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. You maybe have heard this story a few times, um, but I think there's going to be some maybe hope hopefully some new things uh, that we covered that might interest you. Um, so we're going to start off in Matthew uh, 1, 18-25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to put her away quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said, through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give a birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did, not, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him, gave him the name Jesus. So here we have two people. Joseph and Mary. Um, and believe it or not, with all the history and shows we've watched over the years, we don't know that m much about either of these two people. In fact, Joseph, there's not very many facts recorded about Joseph in the four Gospels. He's mentioned only with respect to the events surrounding Jesus' birth, his flight to Egypt, and the visitation in Jerusalem at the temple, where Jesus was in the temple. Um, Joseph is never mentioned after Jesus' childhood. Joseph was faithful to God when he obeyed the angel's instructions about Mary and, uh, and again about fleeing to Egypt. Joseph's profession was described as a tecton, a builder, 
Uh, tradition said he was older, but we do not know that for certain. Christian tra- tradition represents Mary as a widow during the adult ministry of her son Jesus. Joseph is not mentioned as being present at the wedding in Canaan or at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his mission, nor at the cross in the end. If he had been present at the crucifixion, he would, under Jewish custom, have been expected to take charge of Jesus' body, but instead that role was performed by, you recall, Joseph of Arimathea. Nor would Jesus have entrusted his mother to take care of John the Apostle if her husband had been alive. But we do not know from these passages, but we do know from these passages that Joseph was a faithful child of God. Mary. We do not know that much about Mary. We do know that most of the young girls ready to marry about that age were about 12 to 16, so that's the likely age Mary would have been. Um, Later events in the Bible show Mary at the wedding in Canaan, and Mary was also present with a group of women at the crucifixion. We do know that from the meeting with the angel Gabriel that Mary was favored by God. So here's the discussion with Mary and the angel Gabriel. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angels, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me as your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary later in uh, Luke has a song, and she recites this lengthy song and says, My soul exalts the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior. So a few things about this story. Joseph is pledged to be married, to be married, to marry. As you recall, we covered this in a session on Jewish weddings or Jewish marriage. Um, three things that made up a Jewish marriage, a shidukin, a kedusin, and a nusin. And the, these are the arrangement, the pledge, and then eventually the marriage. So since Joseph had been pledged, they had already gone through the first two steps of marriage. The arrangement if you recall, is when a bride is selected by using, by the father, by, 
but sometimes has an intermediary. The young woman would be a distant relative or known to the family in the community. The father of the groom would go to the home of a prospective young woman and the father would discuss and arrange uh, and make arrangements on behalf of their children. Now we had no explanation of this in this story, but we assume that something like this must have happened. You recall the ketubah was the agreement or the written document that says what the groom brings to the marriage and also what the bride brings to the marriage. Part of the ketubah was called the mohar or the bride price. The pledge, the bride and the groom are pledged to each other and in this step they go and stand in their tent where there is a public ceremony. Two things happen there. There's exchange of gifts, jewelry, a cup of wine is drunk, a wine is as a picture of celebration and joy. And having done this, they are considered to be betrothed, pledged to each other. This is a legal arrangement. So at this time, both Joseph and Mary have gone through this step. Um, they have been pledged to each other. That's the stage they are at. And he, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus is English. The Greek word is pronounced Jesus, L-E-S-O-U-S. The Hebrew word is Yoshua. And I see, I see three spellings of this. Yoshua, Yeshua, Yoshua, Hebrew, which means Yahweh saves. If we were walking around in the first century and we saw Jesus walk by and we yelled out, Jesus, he would not turn around because that's not how he answered his name. That seems kind of weird to us because we use that every day. But um, often uh, we say Jesus or Jesus Christ as if Christ is just blended in as his last name and that's not the case. Christ means Savior. The Messiah means the Anointed One, the Deliverer. The Old Testament says his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So verse 21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now we lose this in translation a little bit, this passage. You are to name him Jesus, Yoshua, because he will deliver and save his people from their sins. This would make sense to the scholars because the belie- they believe the book of Matthew was written in Hebrew. Now, there's no J in the Hebrew language. It should be I or Y. So we know the name Jesus in English and Yoshios in Greek. But it says Yoshua Hebrew was his name. And it reads here. This is how it should read. Yoshua. You are you name his name Yoshua for he will Yoshua his people, deliver, save 
rescue. This is how you read it. Yoshua will Yoshua save his people. Anyone else um, that you can call in the Bible that has this same name? Yoshua from the Old Testament? It almost sounds the same. Joshua. Joshua has the same name. Okay, Luke 2. Um, continue this story. And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothing cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Luke gives us the time frame for the telling of this story of the birth of Jesus while Caesar Augustus was in power. We know he reigned from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. Verse 3 and 4 says, And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from Nazareth to in Galilee to Judea and Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. So, how long was this trip? I've messed it up. How long was this trip? You can see Nazareth up there and Jerusalem and Bethlehem down at the bottom. There's a number of routes they could have taken. This is a common route they would have gone down through Jericho. This is a four-day trip, about 90 miles. One question we might ask, why did Joseph... If he was from the house of David, why did he live in Nazareth? Now, we know at some time he lived in Bethlehem or his family lived in Bethlehem. Perhaps he was, because he was a tecton, right? A construction worker. And there was plenty of work in Galilee. And so they moved north to Nazareth. But if you recall in the story, after Joseph and Mary went to Egypt because they were warned about Herod. When they returned, they came back, and Joseph was still afraid of Herod's relatives. So they returned, they came back through Judea, and settled in Galilee. So he went to register with Mary, who was suspected, who was expecting a child. And it says... While they were there, they came, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, in the Christmas story, we all know, it tells us, and all the shows we have seen, we know that they barely got there in time, right? It was a squeaker. But they got to in time, just in time, for the baby to be born. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, while they were there, the time came. So they were there for some time before the baby was born. So they're in Bethlehem for a while. It wasn't as if they just made it there the day Jesus was born 
uh, along the road somewhere. Sometimes uh, we retell the story so much we forgot exactly how it went. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So, we all know they got rejected. They went to the inn. There's no room for you. At least that's what we recall. Uh, Don't we envision the typical uh, nativity scene in that part of the country where they're, uh, uh, they're in front of a church lawn like we see around town. You know, they're, it's an inn at the top of the hill. They were rejected, and then they're down in this lowly little shelter that houses animals. But that's not how it exactly went. So the word for inn is kataluma. Uh, and there's three possibilities for this. Yes, hotel, Motel 6 was one of those. Uh, that's generally what we think of. They re- got rejected from Motel 6. But hospitality was a prime cultural value in that day and time. Uh, you would sleep in the streets before you would turn out a guest. And you recall, Joseph was from there at some time. So most likely he had some relatives there. Um, you were honor bound to take care of your relatives. Uh, even if you didn't know them. Remember, Joseph was from Bethlehem. His family was from Bethlehem. And people were honor-bound to keep in travelers. You might remember Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 11 about a man who gets up at midnight and doesn't have enough bread for his guests. So he goes and asks a friend, right? Uh, Someone has come to me unexpected, and he doesn't have anything to serve them. So he can't say, hey, I don't have anything. I'm going to kick you out. That's not what they did. In the first century, we'd never send somebody to Motel 6. Uh, It was an unsavory place, generally run by uh, Gentiles. The Jews didn't have motels because of their cultural values to put people up when they came to you. So um, when Luke talks about the story of the Good Samaritan, you recall, he said the Samaritan put the man up in an inn. And this is a different word. This is uh, podokion. Luke uses this word for Motel 6. So we know Luke, who's writing this, knows what Motel 6 is, and he doesn't use that word. He uses the word kataluma. So there's another possibility. It's just a house, Um, probably a house of relatives. So uh, they turned them out. No, that's not what they would have done. You don't remember the story of Lot and how he was going to let people stay in his house and give the people of the town his daughters instead of letting the, letting the people sleep in the street. Hospitality was very important. So most likely this was Kataluma, a guest room. Uh, many houses had guest rooms. And I don't know that you can see this, but if I can move this. Oh, it doesn't even go that far. Oh, there we go. That says Kataluma right there. That's a top floor room. Many of these houses had guest rooms. Uh, you remember the story of Elijah and the Shumanite woman in Second Kings. She said to her husband, We know you, we have uh, helped this guy out a lot. Why don't we build him a room, a Kataluma? So they built him a guest room for Elijah. Another option was a stable. 
Uh, many houses in those days had an area that was about four feet lower than the house. You keep your animals in there. You take them out during the day, bring them in at night for protection and warmth. They would they would bring to the house in winter time. So you can see that here. There's a stable. Well, it's down at the bottom. <laughs> you can see that there's a stable in this connected to this house, and this was very common uh, for protection and warmth. They brought, they would bring the house, uh, the animals into that area in wintertime. Stables were connected to the house. Many homes in Switzerland or Sweden were built in the same on the same plan. If you've seen any of those, uh, Thomas Jefferson home was designed this way. So Joseph and Mary. When they get there, there was not room in the contaluma, the guest room. And so the owner house said, well, we'll put you over here in the stable. And this would not be an undesirable place to be. It would be common for people to stay there, to sleep there. Don't know that what that does about your Christmas story, but that's what it would be, have been like. Okay, continue on. Uh, Luke Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in the manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and in earth peace and those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard that were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So, if you're envisioning this right now, as I have been envisioning this, I'm remembering back of all the TV shows and movies I've seen <laughs> about this subject. I think I like the claymation was my favorite, if you remember any of those. So, what was this sign the shepherds saw? If we just thought about it, we would say, oh yeah, they saw the star, right? No. <laughs> They didn't see the star. So it says here, what was the sign to the shepherds? The sign would be to you, it says in verse 12, this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So the shepherds did not see the star. They saw the angels. So the angels testified to them about the place of the Messiah to shepherds. So like I said, we have these nice Christmas images of shepherds in the field, very peaceful, calm place. But in the first century, 
shepherds were considered one of the lowest forms in Jewish society. I'll read from the Talmud. What the Talmud says about people who can give testimony. A list of persons who are disqualified from acting as either judge or witness is given. The dice player, the gambler, lender of money and interest, the flyer of doves who wages who wagers on races, and they who traffic in produce of the sabbatical year. Other additions to this list are found. The rabbis included herdsmen, tax collectors, and farmers of the, re- of the revenue. They added robbers, herdsmen, extortioners, and all who are suspected of dishonesty in connection with money. So why would shepherds, why would herdsmen be a people that wouldn't be trustworthy? The Talmud states specifically the herdsmen would not give testimony in a court of law. There are a couple reasons for this. One is they have a traveling job. They're not home. They stay away from the family. They're not looked on as favorably. But two is they, were most, um, they mostly were shepherds of someone else's sheep. They were thought to have made it a practice to shear the sheep and sell the wool and pocket the money, hopefully and let it grow back before the master or the owner found out. They are assumed, if you were a shepherd, that you were a thief. And if a thief, you cannot be relied to give, on tes- give testimony. So why would God choose the lowest in society <clears throat> to be a witness of the birth of Christ? Good question. Another story. Uh, Luke, 20, Luke 2, 21. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to him to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelations to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother marveled at what he, what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in the house of Israel, and to be a sign that, the, that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. couple things to note. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon had the Holy Spirit. We've seen this before. If you recall, early in this study, that John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit from birth. That his mother Elizabeth had the Holy Spirit when she met Mary. So this man, who his name was Simeon, which is one of the common names of that country, had a revelation of God that told him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he was righteous and devout and had a superhuman commitment to the word. He was Hasid, which someone that was devout at that time who kept the word of God. The Hasid eventually became the Pharisees' movement, the same word as used for Hasidic Jews today. He said that Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So in an odd way, the Jews always kept themselves separate from the Gentiles. But this statement by Simeon was prophecy that Jesus would be Savior to all men. And verse 33 said, the, father's, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. At first, we don't think much about this. But why did Joseph and Mary marvel? Wasn't Mary visited by the angel and pregnant by the Holy Spirit? So Mary knew that Jesus was totally virgin-born, truly unique. Didn't the angel of the Lord appear to Joseph in a dream? Didn't the shepherds tell, the, tell about the angels that appeared to them to tell them about the child? Didn't the Magi, which we'll talk about in a minute, see the star and come and worship Jesus? So why did Mary and Joseph marvel? Because they didn't really know and understand about Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, and who he was, as we would like to think. We have the word of God and the advantage of hindsight to look back and see what God was doing. Plus, the Jews of the day had their own limitation of understanding about the kingdom of God and what it would be. They thought it would be a political kingdom that the Messiah would be sit on the throne of David and throw out the Romans. So who else appeared to uh, Jesus? Matthew 2, 1-2. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in, Ju- in Judea, during the time of Herod king, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and, came, when it rose and have come to worship him. So we know the Magi were known to be from the territory of Persia, which is east of Judea, 
and were people skilled in astronomy. How they knew the star represented the birth of Christ, we don't know really about how they figured that out. And if we remember, everyone outside of, of this area called this area Judea. Now we know that it was uh, subdivided into Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, but the Magi said they came to see the one born king of the Judeans. And how many Magi were there? Well, we know from the song there were three, and they had, what? They had three presents, golden, uh, frankincense, and myrrh, but we don't really know how many there were. And it says they saw this star in the east or from the east and have come to worship him. So there's a lot of speculation over the years about this star. Some people say this was some constellation, a group of stars. And the Magi are astronomers and can read the stars and their alignment, which the Magi understood to mean that there was a king born. Another imp- uh, interpretation was that it was a comet. People in those days and today put great stock in comets in the sky. You recall a bunch of followers in California saw this Hale-Bopp comet in we're worshiping it. Crazy. So, this is a trick question for the old folks. Does anybody recognize this man? I don't see very much recognition in the face of the people out there. What? Billy Graham? That's good guess, but no. Nope. There you go. Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was a news commentator uh, on the radio when I was young. I had a weird, sick uh, fixation on listening to him every day. (laughs) He had a great voice. So I'm listening to him back in the 70s, if I can think back that far. And he tells this Christmas story. So I'm going to tell you what he said. Remember this back in the 70s, he's telling this story on the radio. He said, uh, some scientists from Adler Planetarium developed a program to orient the stars based on time, days, and years. The Adler Adler Planetarium is a public museum in Chicago, Illinois, dedicated to astronomy and astrophysics. So to test this, they would go into the planetarium and adjust the celestial calendar based on the orientation of the stars and observe their relationship back or forwards in years and orient orient them from different locations on the Earth. Now, for us who are not that scientifically involved, a planetarium is a dome theater that projects images of the sky, the stars, uh, on the ceiling and shows our universe and creates an educational experience that teaches astronomy and related sciences. So one day, these scientists at the planetarium, being believers in God and creation, they thought perhaps they could go into the planetarium and turn back the celestial clock. 2,000 years. What would they find? Could we possibly see what took place 
in the night sky that night, the holy night when Jesus was born. So they might just see as the stars and the planets passed each other back two years and years before, what would they see? So in the dark room, in the dark room, they looked up and adjusted the stars just as they would have been seen in the Middle East. As the planetariums hummed, stars and planets began moving as they retraced their orbits into the past. Back 100 years, back 500 years, 1,000 years, 1,800 years, then back to the year 6 BC. Could they possibly see with their own eyes how the Magi might have seen the sky in the spring of 6 BC? When one planet passes another, they are said to be in conjunction. When they are in conjunction for the short time, the light from each star together provides a brighter light. So it was as Jupiter and Saturn moved through the sky night, they slowly passed 2,000 years ago. At once their light is bright and magnified as to the two appear as one. Could this have been the star of Bethlehem? For common people, they might have not have even noticed. But to astrologers like the Magi, this event would have been of special significance. As the minutes passed in the planetarium, there was another change. As Jupiter and Saturn began to ease apart, out of nowhere comes Mars moving toward them. One day, then another day. Then finally Mars moves in between them in the western sky. Brighter than any star in the heavens. Here, on a holy night in 6 BC, a bright star in the heavens made up of three planets. Was this the star the Magi saw? Did it really happen this way? I don't know. But it makes sense to me that the whole creation was involved in the coming of the Son of God. The entire creation was waiting for the time that Christ would come. I like this idea. This is how I believe it happened. We all can have our own opinions. Romans 5. You see, at the just at the right time, when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as son of sons. So God sent shepherds and foreigners as the primary people to spread the word about the coming Savior. So we know shepherds were thought of as thieves, and the Jews did not welcome and associate with Gentiles, foreigners. Luke, uh, Luke 2, 3 through 6. Now, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law were asked where the Christ was to be born, they knew he would come from Bethlehem, the town of David. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. 
So in the Mediterranean world, secrecy was always interpreted as dishonorable. In the first century, every day you would open the door to your house and you would leave it open until night to close your door. Anybody could walk by and look in and and wanted to see what was going on there was something so there was not going to be anything dishonorable going on there now we value our privacy but that would be considered deviant behavior in the first century verse 8 says how far Bethlehem was from uh, Jerusalem it was just an hour's walk now if Herod was so serious about finding the child why didn't he go himself or send someone Maybe it was because Herod had threats of his own from his own throne and couldn't be bothered. So why did God choose magi, foreigners, and shepherds to reveal the coming of his son? To see Christ and worship him and leave him without telling the Jewish leaders, the shepherds, outcasts, were outcasts, people that were thought to be thieves and liars and couldn't give testimony about the law. When Christ was brought to some old man named Simeon, would he be a good one to testify about the coming of Christ? So at this time of year, all Judea was heightened in awareness that this was the time the Messiah would show up on the scene. So why was, G- why was the Messiah not revealed to the high priests, to the Pharisees, to the important religious bigwigs? But God decided to reveal this to who we would consider expendable people, marginal people, and God chose them to give testimony about Christ. It is obvious that God chooses the less influential to fulfill his purposes. How many of us are powerful and influential in our society? Not many. Yet we give a powerful testimony about God and the salvation he provides through the sending of his son, Jesus. And he has chosen us to do so. And Jesus fulfilled his name. Jesus became the very meaning of his name, Savior, for he saved his people. Two verses to close our class this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let, shine, let, let light shine out of darkness, and made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God and glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says, But brothers and sisters, think not what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influ- influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteous holiness and redemption.
that's our class this morning. Hopefully, I didn't destroy any thoughts you had about the birth of Jesus, but maybe found out some new information. So thank you for your attention.